Hey, hey, Horizon, how you doing this morning? Come on, you can do better than that. How you doing this morning? All right. My name is Chris. My wonderful wife, Pastor Sherry, is in the front row here with our youngest daughter, Esther. You want to stand? And Ezekiel, want to stand? Just give them a welcome as well. Man, it's good to be with the body of Christ at Horizon today. Uh, Craig is probably halfway through his sermon right now at uh, sunrise, so we're really glad. And as he mentioned, all over Cloverdale and into Langley and Surrey, uh, there's churches that have agreed in the last two years to come together on Pentecost Sunday with this theme, One God. How many know we have one God? His name is Jesus. There's one Holy Spirit, right? And there's one church. And this Sunday morning, there's a dozen churches across our area preaching this same passage. Be different messages, but preaching the same passage. So if you would, please turn to Acts 1, verses 4 to 8. And as you turn, I've got, to, I think they have a picture of my family, so you can see them on the big screen there. There's a picture of my fam jam. That's Mother's Day. Sherry is just excited that all the kids are kind of looking at the camera, and I'm kind of giving them instructions. I'm like, kids, look at the camera now. This is for your mom. Right, that's supposed to move. Okay, good. We're going to get into uh, the sermon, but before we do, I want to ask you a few questions. Um, how many people are cheering for the Raptors? So I'll make sure I'm around family here. Anybody from Saskatchewan? Come on, you guys don't even cheer. It's like, what happened to us? My wife and I moved out here just uh, almost five years ago to be a part of uh, Sunrise Church and to, to take the lead role from uh, Pastor Stan Powers, who pastored in this area for almost 30 years. Uh, so we're excited to just be even in the same region as you. And uh, my wife and I have had the chance to spend time with uh, Pastor Craig and Shanda and just really grown to love and appreciate them and their heart for the body of Christ. As I start off, I want to share something with you. I know that your church is familiar with prophetic, and, and uh, you brought a message earlier. But really what prophetic is, is, is God speaking through someone to call you into a future, right? That's what it is. He's speaking something that's not yet happened to draw you in. And as I was preparing for this, and I've already shared with Pastor Craig that I, I had a prophetic word for your whole church, I began to see a picture for your whole church. And the picture was this as I was praying. I saw the most beautiful sunset. And I could see on the horizon that this, the sun was setting, but then in the same breath, in the same picture, I could see from God that there was this picture of the sun rising. And really what it symbolized for the church was that there was a season of settings where things were coming to an end. But in the same breath, there was also a season of new rising. Now, I don't know the history of the church very well. I really don't know much about your church. But I could see that what God had done is he was causing a season of the old things to kind of pass, but the new things to come into the church and the new things to come with a rise of power. Now, there's one thing every time the sun rises, we're guaranteed we got a 24-hour day. But the Lord said the new season he was going to bring you in wasn't going to be what you would expect in a 24-hour day. If you were liking the new season to like a 24-hour day, he said, no, no, no. Don't expect it to come and pass like a day would. And then he brought me to the passage in Joshua where the, Joshua prayed, Lord, would you cause the sun to stand still? And he did. And the Lord said, the season you'll bring into is the season of rising of the sun, but he's also going to cause the sun to stop at the perfect place so that you as a church will get longer in the next season than you would even anticipate. And he also said this, he said, that you need to expect the new season. You know what expectancy is? Expectancy is you're thinking, when is he done because I'm hungry for lunch? That's expectancy. 
Expectancy is when you're in the labor and birth ward and your wife is like, oh, get this thing out of me. You did this to me. That's expectancy. My wife's a labor and birth nurse. You might have met her before down on White Rock. You never know. He says, expect it, anticipate it. And he said, look for it. Look for the new season, church. Now, I know how it works in churches. I submit this right to the elders and with Pastor Craig. That's how it works with prophetic. But the Lord also showed me the last picture he showed me in this is if you've ever seen the sunset or the sunrise over the ocean, there's this moment that you get every once in a while when it's setting or when it's rising over the ocean where there's a flash of light that comes to you, where the sun kind of hits the waves and, and bang, you get these little flashes of light that the Lord said the season would be so obvious that I'll bring you to it. would be like flashes of light just coming. Bang, 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 bang. And he said it's going to cause your church to be refined so that you can step into the new season. So I believe that's the word of the Lord for your church today. And I submit that to your leadership and to your elders uh, to pray on that. And you guys may be already feeling that. Maybe you're already sensing that that's what's happening. But uh, yeah, let's get into the word today. So if you have your Bibles with me, please turn to Acts uh, 1, uh, verses 4 to 8. If you don't have a Bible, turn to the most spiritual person beside you who brought their big King James Bible and steal it from them. Uh, one thing we do in our church is I don't put verses up anymore because I want people to bring their Bibles uh, or use the version Bible app, whatever you guys use here. Uh, we're going to read in the book of Acts. And while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd all come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that there was a promise from the Father that it was about receiving power for the very purpose of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. And on this Pentecost Sunday, Lord, we realize and we hearken back to the birth of your church that happened in this passage. We hearken back to the things that you want to do, and we say, Lord, we know you're not done yet. We know that there's more things that you need to do in and through us, in and through your church, God, because as I look around this city, there's many people who don't know you. And Father God, you've called us to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, and it starts with us right here in our own neighborhoods. So, Father God, would you give me grace today? Would you direct me? And, Lord, would your word be powerful today? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I looked at my watch this morning. I thought i got to wear a watch because I want to be on time. And then I realized that all my watches, the batteries are dead. And so, to me right now, it's 1030. So, are you guys good till 1 o'clock? Is that how it works here? No, you've got growth track. And you don't want to miss growth track after this. You want to discover your purpose. Get in there. So what's the day of Pentecost anyway? Some of you might have no context for this. The day of Pentecost actually in Israel was a feast. It was a feast time, a celebration of the first fruits where they would bring things in, a celebration of harvest is what it was. And isn't it interesting that God chose this day where they're commemorating harvest and the fruit of the crops coming in to pour out his Holy Spirit in such a way called the promise of the Father for the very purpose of the church going forward. Wouldn't it be interesting that God chose that day? He chose that very day. And what happens on the day of Pentecost, as you read later, there was a great harvest of 3,000 people that came into the church that day. How many would love 3,000 more people at Horizon Church? Come on now. How many can believe for that across our region? Come on now. This was 50 days since Jesus had resurrected. And the very interesting thing is Jesus 
ordered them. Don't leave Jerusalem. He didn't suggest, hey, guys, guess what? You and the leading women, the 120, just maybe you should just hang out in Jerusalem. Just, it's an idea. You know, there's other places to go. You could go down to Hebron. You know, you could go to Antioch. You know. No, no, he said, I'm ordering you to stay in Jerusalem. You see, there's this very important thing that we have to understand when Jesus is saying these words with such authority and such emphasis. He's telling them to be there because what he's going to do is something that he can't do any other time or any other place. So he orders them. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses. How many could use a little more power in their life? Come on. He says, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know, there's something about last words when someone speaks their very last words. You tend to remember those things. If you had a friend or a family member who's passed away, the last thing you said to them is usually important. You, you want to say those last crucial words. You know, when our children go to school, a number of years ago I was in this parenting session, and they said, what's the last thing we say to our kids before they go to school? You make, drop them off or they go at the door. You say, have fun. Whoa, whoa. School's not all about fun. School is fun, but it's not all about fun. So my wife and I started thinking, what are the, what's the most important things that we can say to our children as they go to school? And we have the four L's. And we pray this for them all the time. We pray that they would love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. We pray that they would love the neighbors as they would love themselves. We pray that they would laugh. And then we pray that they would learn. So our last words to our kid are that, the four L's. And we pray this over my son every day when he goes. I pray this over our little girls who aren't in school yet. But last words are so important. You know, a number of years ago, just over five years ago, my father passed away in some really tragic circumstances. And we were able to be there before he passed away within about 12 hours of his passing. And had we not got there, my father would have passed away alone uh, in a really obscure circumstance because he lived alone. But as we got there to see my father... He wasn't even really verbal at that point. But you know what? We could hold his hands and we could speak to him the very last words that he would understand. You know what? He would he'd squeeze back. And he'd, he'd nod back. He would try to understand. My wife and I said, Dad, it's Chris. It's Sherry. We're here. And I won't tell you the whole context, but basically what happened is the Holy Spirit said, you need to go find your dad. You need to go get your dad. Because what's happening, we hadn't heard from him. So we listened to the Holy Spirit. We got there in time to see him, to take him to the hospital. He eventually passed away within 12 hours. But we listened to the Holy Spirit, and what we got to say to him, he heard and he understood. He squeezed back. He looked back at us. Last words, echo. Last words really are meant to echo in your life. But the interesting thing about an echo is that an echo will dissipate over time, right? It doesn't stay as strong as the first time you heard it, does it? It's like the first time you heard that old song, There is none like you. Come on, sing it out, church. Who knows that one? You, some of you guys are old school. I love it. You hear, you hear that now and you're like, oh, Jesus, I'm right back in like 1988 swaying like this. And I got, I got like three flags. 
Hey, man, we're okay with flags. But, you know, we all have these experiences where we've heard something powerful, a song that has moved our heart. But if you don't keep those words current to you, they're a fading echo, and they're just gone. So what does Jesus say? He says, number one, you're going to receive power. Number two, you're going to be my witnesses. This is what you're going to do. And it's all because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. He is equally God. He is powerful, and he is sent by Jesus to fulfill the very things that God has planned for his church. William Barclay, who's an old scholar from England, he says this, the Holy Spirit is the dominant reality in the life of the early church. Now here's the question for us today, church. Is the Holy Spirit the dominant reality in your life? Dominant. You know what dominant means? That means overall. That means not secondary. That means primary. Is the Holy Spirit dominant in his reality in your life? Or have you just let him echo and fade and be like, well, happened once. I met the Holy Spirit. I felt that little, whew. I saw a miracle once. And it's just like your old Instagram feed that you just delete that stuff. It's just like gone. You just, I only got four things on my Instagram because that's what the kids do on the ground now these days. You see, echoes will dwindle with time. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit wasn't a one-time encounter. It was actually to be continually filled with the Spirit so that we could continually live in the Spirit. And a lot of times what we need to do is we need to start emptying ourselves of all the stuff we fill ourselves with so we even have room for the Spirit of God in our life. Come on now. Don't get me start talking about Game of Thrones. I rebuked our church last week for that. I got, churches, let me say this. Some of you are growing. You're on the journey, right? So don't, don't hear me being harsh with you, but uh, there's times when we have to get stuff out of our life to make room for the Spirit of God to move. And if you want to be a person who has the power of God in your life, you have to look at the things that are sapping the power out of you. We've got a 1999 Jayco Camp trailer. If I leave a light on for a night, guess what happens to that battery? Dead. Thank God I just replaced it with LED lights now so it works. But there's things that will zap your power. And if you're playing with things that are just, that are just clearly not identifying you, that just pulls the power of the Spirit. And it, just, it takes up room in your life, okay? So is the Holy Spirit a dominant reality in your life? Those who were filled on this day in the book of Acts radically changed, radically encountered the Spirit of God. Here's Peter, and you know Peter, if you've read Scripture, he couldn't say much of anything without saying the wrong thing, putting his foot in his mouth, standing on the water, thinking he had faith, taking his eyes off Jesus. But here, right in the next chapter, he preaches the best message on Jesus Christ, historical all the way. And every Bible college student said, amen, that's good exegesis, Peter. And he was totally radically changed. And why was he radically changed? Why does the Holy Spirit even come upon us now? He comes to radically change you so that you can radically change someone else. That's the purpose. It's not so you can have a feel-good, fun club, lift my hands, do a little Pentecostal two-step, and then go out for brunch. He did it so you could be empowered to radically change the rest of the world. We might preach today, okay? The sad thing is we've exchanged that radical experience. We've exchanged it for all the good things of life. 
And life is good, man. As my, me and my wife were driving here with our family, we're just like, man, isn't it great to live in BC? It's just great. We see the mountains. It's beautiful, the streams, the rivers. And we're like, wow, man, these people need some more faith. Because see, in Saskatchewan, when we got so much faith, all the mountains moved. You can use it. As God is my witness and my wife is my witness, I've never told that joke ever. But here's the thing. We live in the beautiful surroundings and we can exchange the beauty of what God has given us for the very essential thing of the Holy Spirit who comes upon us to give us power. If church is going to be the church, I mean on Sunday mornings, if we're going to be the church, this is like the charging station. You are the Tesla, okay? You're plugging in here to go out. You're not here to just look good and be pretty. I thank, I thank God that I'm like matching two of the girls in the worship team with my jean jacket. I thought that was a pretty good fashion choice by them. They must have been looking at my Instagram story. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not even on Instagram really. But this is the charging station so you can be obedient to what God said. Go and be witnesses. This is why you get the Holy Spirit. The echoes over time will diminish. So you need to hear him constantly. So here's a question for you. This morning, we're going to pause 30 seconds. Ask the question of the Spirit of God. What is he saying to you today? Shut your eyes for a moment. We're going to take 30 seconds. What is he saying to you today? Sometimes you might question, was that God or was that me? It's the wrong, the wrong way to ask it. Because it's God always through you. He gave you a mind to think. The question is, God, is that from you or from me? Or is that a whisper from somewhere else from the enemy? Now, church, we need to be people who pause to listen to the Spirit of God. And if we don't, we're just going to be like someone who forgot the book of Acts and said, oh, that was just back then. God doesn't work. Well, the last time I looked around the world and in the word of God, I don't see the gifts and the power of the Spirit ceasing. I don't see it. So that means either we're crazy or the Holy Spirit's doing something. I choose the Holy Spirit's doing something. We need to pause. If the Lord whispered something to you, you need to write it down. Write it down in your Blackberry. Write it down in your iPhone. Don't touch it if it's a Samsung. It could be on fire. Just pray over it. Lay hands on that. Sound some users. But the Lord wants to speak to you. For some of you today, I know, I know this. He was reminding you that he's called you as a son and daughter. That song really spoke to you. He, he's reminding you that. Because everywhere else, it feels like you're isolated and alone and orphaned. The Lord just wants to say, you're my son, you're my daughter. Others of you, I really believe this, that the Lord spoke to you about standing in confidence in your family, in your workplace. I really believe um, by the Spirit of God that there are people here that you, you kind of feel like you're standing alone in your family. 
totally alone in your workplace. You're the only believer, and it's like the hardest environment. The Lord says, take courage. Stand up for me. Because when you do, he's, I will be there. You will not walk through the fire alone. Come on, you will not walk through the fire alone. That's what he would say to you today. How many people are married here today? Give a big holler. How many of you like celebrating the covenant of marriage? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. What do you say about covenant? You know, I've had the privilege, actually, our story is quite unique. Uh, we have three children. My wife and I are going to celebrate 10 years this year. Our oldest son is 14. So people are like, what? You're a pastor. I had the privilege of being married twice. My first wife uh, was diagnosed with cancer, brain cancer, when our first son was in the womb at five and a half months. And the Lord saw fit in his providence and wisdom to take her and heal her by taking her to heaven. doesn't mean we stop praying for healing. We actually still declare healing. But I've had the privilege of being married to, uh, I think, kind of 17 years cumulative. And I've learned something about marriage. I've learned one or two things. And I'm, I'm not a professional at it. Um, my wife is amazing, Sherry. But I've learned this, is that I can't treat the quality of my marriage or the depth of my marriage or the meaning of my marriage just based off that covenant day. Now, last night, my wife and I had the privilege, elders from our, elders from our church gave us a gift to go out, and, and they took care of our kids. So we're like, boom, we're going to the keg. It's going to be good. We got to sit there, and as we're driving up, they're like, hey, what are we not going to talk about? Like, what are we not going to talk about so that we don't just, like, talk about how cute our daughters are and our son is and, you know, how well he skateboards. We're not going to talk about church. So we just had to be really intentional. And if the depth of our marriage was only in that covenant day, like, 10 years ago, what would it really mean if we weren't active with it today? So the question for you who are married or the question for you who want to get married, how many people want to get married today? You, not today. You just want to get married. We could do that. We could just go to London Drugs. We could get off... <laughs> Come on, there's some young adults here. you like, I won't get married. <laughs> but what if you treated, what the depth of your marriage was based solely on the experience of the wedding day? What if that was it? What if there was nothing deeper? Well, yeah, we got the rings on. Yeah, we signed the stuff. Someone blessed us. We even did communion. There was that spiritual. And you treated your marriage just only in that. But you didn't treat your marriage as something daily, something weekly, something that you're pouring into and that you're learning and growing in. That is what marriage is really supposed to be. You see, when we have like Esther is like seven and a half months, she's like the cutest little queen over there. But we don't get a lot of time to be together without one of the three of our kids. So when someone offers, like, here's a gift card, take it. Take us up on babysitting. I'm like, I'm texting you because we are going to take you up on that offer because we need to get out. My wife's like, hallelujah, amen. I just want to get out for a date. She'd just like, she'd be happy just with sleeping in the car on the way to a restaurant. We'd just go through a drive-thru. I'd be eating. She'd be sleeping. She'd be like, this is glorious. Thank you, Jesus. But we try to cheat, treat our marriage as real and alive. Something that, yes, it was initiated and covenantally brought together on that wedding day. And there's power in that. But there's power because there's continual reminders of what happened on that day that we experience day to day, week to week, month to month. That's what's going to make your marriage strong. Now, what if we did the same thing to the Holy Spirit that a lot of us do to marriage? Well, I got married, but I'm not working on my marriage. 
What if we treated it just like the altar and not like the experiences that we're supposed to have? If you've got your Bible with me, please continue to turn in the book of Acts to Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38, it says this. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And later in verse 41, it says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this is all in the context of the same day. Jesus is still working by the power of his spirit. Peter just didn't go, hey, what? Tongues is great. Tongues of fire, that's awesome. Checkbox, I'm out of here. He didn't do that. He starts preaching. Then turn with me again to Acts 4, verse 31. Flip it over. It's page 912 in mine. I don't know what it is in yours. All of a sudden, the believers had already seen miracles and things happen. And in verse 29, I'll back up. They start praying and says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats, the people are threatening them, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your world with all boldness, while you stretch out your hands and heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Here it is again. The place is shaken. They didn't just leave it at the day of Pentecost. They actually didn't even just leave it at Jesus' words. They were obedient to his words. They got down and prayed. The promise of the Father comes. The day of Pentecost comes. And now here we are, fast forward. The place is shaken. The Holy Spirit comes because they pray to be bold. Doesn't this sound right that they're answering what Jesus said? You're going to be my witnesses? And power will be upon you? And they pray the same prayer. And what happens? The Holy Spirit shows up. Turn with me in Acts 10. Verses 44 to 48. Here's Peter. Right in the middle of a Holy Spirit service with the Gentile people. The Gentile people are all those who weren't from Jewish descent. All those who were formerly outside of God's promise. Verse 44, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the Gentiles. Poured out. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people whom we receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? The Holy Spirit is continuing, do you see? He wasn't a one-time moment. It wasn't just like a covenantal day at your wedding. It wasn't like you spent $10,000 on a photographer and you got just a nice little lookbook. It wasn't just that you put money into a feast and you had all your friends. It continued and continued and continued and continued and continued. Here's my favorite one. We're going to skip one, but turn over to Acts 20, 25 and 26. I call this one the prison break. What are they doing? But they get stuck in prison. They're not sure what to do, so they're like, let's pray. Not only let's pray, but let's sing some worship songs. And what happens when they start doing the very thing that they're commanded to do, which is pray, as Jesus said in the Gospels. And they start to worship and they sing some songs. What happens? But all of a sudden, the place is shaken in the same way. The Spirit of God starts opening up the prison doors, and they just like are like, whoa, Spirit of God just showed up again. 
You know, the book of Acts is really the story of the Holy Spirit being released upon this earth. It's like Jesus continued. It's like the fifth gospel. Even Luke says it. I started to write an account. This is the rest of the stuff that happens. And if we're going to be believers who are Pentecostal in our nature, that's not about a badge or a denomination. That is people who believe that this day and that the Holy Spirit holds some significance in your life will be people who continually see the work of the Spirit in our life. And we'll be able to go, he did it there, he started it there, he worked there, he worked there, he worked there, he's still working now. How many people want that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit? You want to see him working in your life. You see, I've been to camp services before. I've been to mighty, powerful conferences. I've been to lots of events where I experienced the Holy Spirit. But just like this suitcase here, I can go to those places, and I can pack up the Spirit of God, and I can kind of leave him in his place, and I'll take him back home, and I'll just go, okay, yeah, just, just hang out in my closet. Just hang out there. I'll just leave you there. I'm going go back to the rest of my, my life. Go back to the rest of my business. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I encountered you. But am I encountering the Word of God? Am I experiencing the radical change by the Holy Spirit so that I can radically change others around me today. There's a beautiful picture of uh, some rings up there, if you could just show that for a second. See, when we get married, most people still choose to wear rings. What's the ring? Really a symbol of the promise that you made, of the vows that you have made. Some guys are like, sorry, honey, I totally lost it. <laughs> like, you know, it's happened to us before. Come on, guys. You need to get those little new cool, like little silicone ones that, you know. It's a symbol of the promise. You wear it because it says something. You wear it because it reminds you of something. What Jesus said, the Holy Spirit coming upon you is actually promised. So when we heard that prophetic word earlier, just about those who feel like you're walking through stuff, we can stand upon the promise of God because he says he's not going to leave you. He's never going to turn away from you. He's always there. He is always present. He is a present as a promise because he's put the Holy Spirit in us and upon us and within us so that we can understand that. And just like you wear a ring when you get married, God makes that same promise to you. He covenants to you. He's almost marrying himself to you by the Spirit of God so that you know he's always with you. And there's days where you and I, let's be honest, we don't feel it, right? You're like, where are you, God? Like, what happened? Where are you? Where are you? And as you grow in your faith, for those of you who are newer in the faith, you're going to learn that you're going to take steps, and some days the ground is going to feel really solid because Jesus is providing for you. And then other times, you're going to take steps, and you're going to be like, whoa, that doesn't feel like very solid. But what he's causing you to do is grow in your faith so that you can remind yourself of the solid ground of Jesus and you can take a step where you don't know what's happening, but you can step into it because he's promised to be with you. And as good as the ring is on my finger, even better is the promise of God, the promise of the Father that comes to me. I want to experience a radical filling of Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit so that we can radically change people around us. We do face some real challenges in our culture. We face some challenges in Canada. We face some challenges because it seems that you can be anybody 
and believe anything religiously except to be a Bible-believing Christian. It seems like you can do anything else. Like you want to worship the Pastafarian God and you want to wear a colander on your head. You might have seen that news story like five years ago. In BC, the dude wanted to wear the colander on his head because he's called a pastafari and made up his basically his own religion. You can almost do whatever else and it's going to get celebrated. But if you want to say Jesus is the only way and you want to follow him, eh, it just doesn't work. Our culture is not friendly towards Bible believing Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. It's different, isn't it? We feel it. One of the very things that we battle with is not even culture today, but it's what started years ago in a period called the Enlightenment. Because what happened back in that time with, with philosophers and scientists is the, the, the tone of culture started shifting away from the religious center. And there was a separation that started happening in those times when those philosophers would speak that they were trying to do their best to separate the empirical thoughts upon the body and the metaphysical thoughts of the soul and the spirit. And they really succeeded in doing it. And what they brought into our world were things like the scientific method, natural science, the rise of humanism, the rise of criticism and skepticism, and the rise of one of the things that we face today in our culture, which is the rise of autonomy. The rise of personal autonomy means this. I am only responsible to myself for myself. That is found nowhere in the Bible. We are responsible to God first, and to each other as believers. So the whole cultural shift, and this is going back to the 1500s when this started, folks. So we're like 500 years past that point. But what we feel today is everything is right, and you can do whatever you want. I am this, so you can be that. It doesn't matter who you are, what your name is. Identify however you want. We're in this place where the highest view is self. But that's not for the believers. You see, I'm told in the Gospels that I'm supposed to deny myself. I'm supposed to pick up my cross. The cross, the Roman instrument of torture and pain, I'm supposed to pick that up? I'm supposed to carry that? That means I'm not the center. That means there's someone bigger than me. It's Jesus. So the question for me and you today is are we giving way to the privatization of our faith because of the cultural mood that we're in? Or are we going to be powerfully present as Christians? Are we going to risk persecution? Are we going to risk being called crazy, Bible thumpers, discriminatory, because we choose to believe in the Bible, and we tend, we want to push back against the idea of autonomy, that the self is the highest. It's not the highest. The Enlightenment people, while it was good for some things, certainly didn't help us in the privatization of our faith. Lord Jesus, give us your strength to live boldly, to live loudly. And if you're familiar with Scripture, it talks about the sons of Issachar who are wise to the times. Because being wise in these times doesn't mean you just run out and you blast people if they don't believe the same thing you believe, okay? That's not wisdom. You use grace and truth, and you draw them to Jesus. That's the way you do it. Think of the woman caught in adultery. Jesus spoke to her directly about the sin, but he also called her to a new life. Go and sin no more. Who's condemning you? Neither do I condemn you. We need to balance grace and truth, church, so that we can walk in this culture, and we can be 
powerfully present in this culture, a culture that wants to reject God and be responsible only to self. Back into Acts 1. In verse 8, he says, you will receive power, not your, not I'm going to think about giving you power. You will, it's emphatic, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You get it. It's a gift. It's a promise. We get the power in accordance with the very purpose of God. The power that comes with the Holy Spirit is a power to heal you physically, emotionally, spiritually. It comes with restoration in your life. And for those of you who are like, man, I've got brokenness. You don't know my story, Pastor Chris. I don't. But I know the one who can write a new story for you. I know the one who is in the process because he got you here this morning to write a story for you. And he wants to say, my power is still available to restore your life. My power is still available to pour into you today. But here's where I really think the crux of Pentecost is. If we want the power and we don't want to do the purpose. Are you with me, church? Power comes to be witnesses. I brought some with me today. Dads, I brought one of my favorite things that if you don't have it, I hope you get it as a gift. It's not the suitcase. It's even got a little light on it. So when I was building a pergola at our house yesterday, I'm like, I don't need to use this, but I can use it because I have it. <laughs> can you just use a screwdriver, Dad? Yeah, probably could. But I got this. <sighs> Ladies, some of you might like Bosch. Appliances. Mixers. Men like Bosch tools. Is this a hammer? Come on, guys, be honest with me. Have you ever used it like a hammer? Right? You're like working and you see something else, you're like, doof, doof, doof. Do you hit it? You've done that, haven't you? I've done that. Is there anything I can fix on this stage here? Like, This makes a wonderful impact driver, but a really bad hammer. I'm not going to frame a house with this. I'm not going to build my fence properly, pounding in nails with this. I did bring my favorite hammer, too. Yes. This is not, this is my framing hammer, folks. You don't mess with these, man. These things, they will take you out. This is if you see someone driving with them, you just call their RCMP right away, okay? Because you don't know if that guy's construction or if he's crazy. But tell me, does this make a good impact driver? Does this make a good screwdriver? No, this makes a great framing hammer. That's what it's for. Smashing stuff, too. You could just smash some things. But here's the thing. A lot of the time with the Holy Spirit, we've truly forgot the purpose of what he's here for. We want the power, 
but you don't want the purpose. You want the infilling and the power. You want to see signs and wonders, but we forgot the purpose is. The purpose is not, as I said before, so we can have a great time together. The purpose is so that you and I get to be witnesses. And in our lives, if we want power, we got to take the purpose too. You don't get the power without the purpose. Are you hearing me, church? Some of you are like, I'm still not sure. The early disciples, the early church, the early apostles, they took Jesus at his word. They continued to walk out in the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of the Holy Spirit. They started spreading the message. And even when they're told, you can't spread that message, we're shutting you down. What did they do? They got flogged and they rejoiced because they took a beating for his name. And then they kept preaching. The Holy Spirit falls on them again. Why? Because they're doing the purpose. So say it with me. Can I get a witness? Are you guys awake? Come on now. Can I get a witness? There you go. All the African crew. Can I get a witness? You want some power? Get ready to be a witness. You want some power? This is not the center of power here on the Sunday morning. You're going to get refilled. But the center of power is when you take it out of this place. That is where it becomes powerful. Signs and wonders are to exist not in the church service in the morning only, but in the streets and in the businesses and in our schools. That's where we need them, church. That's where we need them. You know, God is stirring something in, in Surrey. I really believe that. And if your people have been in Surrey for a while, you know we need something to stir in Surrey. We need a different identity on our city. What's so amazing is that I said before, 14 churches are choosing to pray for each other today, and 12 churches are preaching this passage. And because God's stirring something in the city, I want to take a moment to pray for those churches. So I think you guys have that slide, if we can throw that up. I, I know all the pastors personally that uh, are part of this. And because God is stirring something, you don't get pastors agreeing on, like, preaching the same passage all the time. Now, you might say, well, if they're Pentecostal in background, sure, they're going to preach on the book of Acts, man. But really, like, Baptists, Lutherans, Mennonite Brethren, non-denominational, they're all like, yeah, we can do this together. 14 churches that are praying for each other today. Do you guys have that slide? Not sure? Okay. We're going to take a moment, and we're going to pray for those churches right now. So just join me in prayer. And as we pray, we're going to pray God stirs some big things up in our city. Father God, we pray for many of the churches around Surrey and Langley. Lord, we pray for Horizon first, that you would stir a passion for your name and a passion for your spirit. We pray for Sunrise as well, God, that everything that we set our hands to, we'd be found obedient to you, Father God. We thank you for Pacific Community Church and all they do with Pastor Brian and Pastor Jim and Matt there for our community, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Westwood's Pentecostal and Pastor Mark Davis, God. We just pray, Lord, you put your anointing on him today. Father God, we thank you for Pastor Kevin at Coast Hills Church. We pray, Lord, that he would have your power come into their place today and that they would be radically changed. We pray for Pastor Sid and Pastor David Hope Community Church, God, that you would radically continue to transform that area, God. Thanks for the growth that they've seen, Lord, as their church is even doubling in these seasons ahead. Thank you for Center Church and Pastor Josh. We pray for him as well. We lift him up to you, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work powerfully through them in that area, Father God. Expand their influence in Jesus' 
mighty name. Father God, we pray for Surrey Covenant Reform and Pastor Jason. We pray, God, you move in and through his life, God, even as he preaches today in the book of Acts, that you would do mightily what you can only do through him in Jesus' name. And Father God, we thank you that you are so mighty and so powerful that you're working through many, many more churches. Thank you for the Bridge Church and Pastor George, God. We thank you for what you're doing in his life. We thank you for Mercy Hill Church and Pastor Kurt, Lord. Would you continue to move in our city? Thanks for Pastor John and Helen with the work at Relate and Angela and Rod. We say, God, increase what they need to do in Jesus' name. And Father God, where our hearts have become calloused against other churches, Lord, we want to repent today because we are part of your one church. We're part of your one body. And so, Lord Jesus, we believe that we can actually be an answer to the prayer that you prayed. And in John 17, you said in verse 20, I do not ask for only these, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Lord Jesus, we do not take unity lightly. Because it says you commanded a blessing in the Old Testament. And it says, Lord, when we become one, Lord, the world knows that you have been sent to save this world. So, Father God, we pray you'd move mightily in our region. And, Lord, we don't want to be people who just give in to the power of some encounter without the purpose of it. So, Father God, we thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, move amongst this city. Move amongst this city. Move amongst this city. Move amongst this city. We need a revival in this region, Lord Jesus. Lord, we need hearts turning to you, not people turning to fentanyl, Father God. We need people being restored in the streets, not people turning to the streets, Lord Jesus. We need you to move. Start with us, Lord. Start with us, Lord. church, as we were in pre-service prayer, Jen said, it's not very often that you guest preachers from the city. And I'll tell you, it's not. Because usually churches are in competition. But we're not in competition. If we're in competition with anyone, it's the enemy and he's on the defensive. We're kicking down the gates of hell. Come on. I stand here to tell you today that I love your church because I know your pastors. They love you. They love this city. They are for you. And this church, I know, is for this city. And today, as we think of what God wants to do in our hearts, to be the powerful people of God, to be the promised people of God, to be the purposeful people of God, we need a reliance and a dependence on the Holy Spirit that only He can give. No right event can do it. No perfect worship song can do it. No wonderfully crafted prayer or beautiful liturgical service can do it. It's only Him. It's only from Him because that is the very source. there's one prayer that Jesus will always answer. And it's this prayer. Three short words. Come, 
Holy Spirit. He always answers that. And what you and I need to do, we need to posture our heart, posture our heart like those early believers in one place together. I'm convinced of this. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know what was coming. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they were obedient to the word of Jesus and said, we're going to stay here. We're going to pray. You said the promise is coming. And guess what? When the promise came, they knew it. There was no question. Well, was that it? Or should we wait for something else? This is it. So church today, it's about posturing your heart to be in the right place. And then secondly, as I shared that prophetic word with you, you need to expect the same promise in your life. You need to expect it. You need to have your appetite wet for it. You need to be thinking, God, when you come in power, not if you come in power, but when you come in power, Lord, I want to expect it. I want to be on the edge of my seat, Lord. I want to be standing in prayer, ready to receive this thing that you want to put on me. I don't want to miss it, Lord. Romans 5, 5 tells us that God poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Some of you now, you just need to take a fresh drink of the love of God. And you just receive him again today. So I'm just going to ask you, if you just stand. Thanks for bringing the anointing worship team. Pastor Sherry, you want to join me on stage? Just ask you the quick question. Is your heart ready to receive the Spirit of God? Are you expectantly waiting for the promise of the Father? And for some of you today, this might be your first time in this church building. And you might think, wow, this is nice, this is great, but who is Jesus? Jesus is the way to know God and he died 2,000 years ago so that you could receive a life that was a gift and given by him because what we deserved is punishment for our disobedience what we deserved is judgment but the Lord is so good and gracious that he put his son on a cross so that you could understand what true life was that you could live for a purpose bigger than yourself so that you could exist in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit So right now, if you would just close your eyes with me. And I want to pray a prayer for someone today who for the first time may be saying yes to Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to become a Christian. And Horizon Church, could we pray this all together from the left to the right? Just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I pray today that he would forgive me of my sins that he would come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to become a Christian. I want to surrender my life to you. Fill me today with your spirit. Equip me for your purpose. Make me bold to share your message. 
In Jesus' name I pray. And now just with every head bowed and every eye closed, if today for the first time you prayed that prayer and you said, I want to become a follower of Jesus, would you just slip your hand up to me? And I'm just going to acknowledge it. I'm looking from my left to my right. If you sit today for the first time, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Looking from my left to my right one more time. He said, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for every heart here and every person that you're working in. And our church, if you would with me, if you're comfortable, just raise your hands because we're going to pray for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit to fall upon this place and upon your life. And ask Pastor Sherry just to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we just say that we are yours. And God, we lay down, as our hands are out, God, we just lay down all of the junk that we have before your cross. And Lord, we just invite you in right now. God, we just ask for a fresh filling, Lord, of your Holy Spirit to come upon us. God, we just ask that we would be unified, Lord, throughout this city, that we would just all rise up to be the witnesses, God, that you've called us to be. And God, that we would just walk in authority and power and love and grace by your spirit. God, I pray that we would have the eyes and the ears to see and hear your voice. And when we need to move and step in boldness to share your love and your grace and your power and your healing touch with people. And so God, we just say we love you and we are yours. We, we just invite you in, Lord. Have your way, God. Have your way in us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Now, Lord, we just welcome you. We say do what you need to do in our hearts and lives to set us on your purpose. We say come, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us afresh. Rain on us afresh. Burn in us afresh. Lord, we believe that you're doing something across the city today that we don't even know what will happen, Lord, but we believe that your spirit is working because you command a blessing where there's unity. So, Lord, we ask you to command your blessing upon your church in Surrey today. We say across this region, come, Holy Spirit, come. 